Hello and welcome to Zookeeping 101. This is the Zookeeper podcast where we take you behind the scenes talking to professionals in the industry about their stories, words of wisdom and journey so far to get to where they are today, really showing you what it takes to be a zookeeper. All views throughout the podcast shared are of those speaking alone and in no way reflect the collections they work for. So please come along for the journey, enjoy the ride and thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to Zookeeping 101. My name's James Dennis, I'm your presenter, and today we're talking all things heading a keeping team, and who better to talk to than James Cork. Welcome James to the show. Hi everyone, nice to be here. It's really great to have you on. Now if you want to introduce to all our listeners exactly who you are, what title you hold, and where you come from. So my name's James Cork, I work at Paradise Wilder Park in Broxbourne, and uh, I am the head keeper at Paradise Wilder Park. We are one of the animal park team managers, so we have two animal park managers, curator side, which is my colleague Jesse, the head keeper side where I'm more out on the park more, being more involved with the animals. I also still lead a section. I'm a section leader of our paddocks and farm section. So that's a lot of our hoof stock, to, but also our farm stock and a few other uh, bits and bobs in there as well. A bit of everything, really. That's quite a diverse title. And I think that sums up the modern day zookeeper. It's such a diverse role that we work within. And it isn't just what it says on the tin. And I think you're the epitome of that, James. Now, obviously, Paradise it's very much a name in the UK, very well known, and it is making a massive splash right now within the industry with its up and coming enclosure design. And it is it's forward thinking media approach. Yeah, it's a, it's a great collection to be a part of. I've been a part of the Paradise family now for uh, 20 years. I always say it's almost been like working at three or four different zoos through my time. It goes for a change, and then it uh, settles, and then it goes for another sort of change. Uh, and yeah, at the moment, it's uh, quite an exciting time. In 2024, so we're actually changing the name from Paradise Wilder Park to Hertfordshire Zoo. Uh, and that's a big change for us because we've been Paradise Wilder Park since 1984. So it's our 40th year anniversary. So yeah, changing the name after Hertfordshire Zoo. Claiming back that name, the zoo, as well, because obviously it went for a farm where people didn't want to be called a zoo. So we take that ownership back up that we are a zoo and we're proud to be named a zoo. But also take ownership of Hertfordshire as well. We're the largest zoo in Hertfordshire. There's a few uh, smaller little collections that are popping up but we are the largest one and we want to take ownership of that that all sounds great and as you say you've been there for quite a while now but i want to dig a little deeper into your career james into your journey do you have those milestones those stepping stones throughout your career throughout your life to getting into that position you're in today and the real growth within yourself to turn into the person you are so yeah 20 years is a long time paris well i was I literally for every step in the zoo started out as a work experience uh when i was in year 10 you've done like two weeks work experience so my mum maybe forced me to take that giant step to do it at first i was just going to get take the easier step and go with one of the school setup ones but actually no we, i took that step out and uh went to paris well and done my work experience there. Really enjoyed it. So I stayed on voluntary uh, whilst I finished school and uh, went to Animal Care College. For me, I'm not the most academic, so university wasn't really ever there for me uh, as a as an option to go. Sometimes it's put in, you've got to go to university, you need this high grade, you've got to be intellectual to go down that route. I wasn't at school. I wasn't the most high sets. I was actually down into the lower sets. It was the hard work and the passion of the animals that has, uh, drove me through to do it. Uh, so then as I decided to say, I carried on volunteering 
here and went to Animal Care College. To be honest, once again, very lucky to get into Animal Care College at Oaklands College. But yeah, I went in for a first diploma, which was like a level one, go and do a year course there. And then I carried on with another year. So I've done two years at college while still volunteering at Paradise for them for years. Once I finished college, I was very, very lucky that they offered me a seasonal job, which was back then, it was just quite really low paid, sort of just paid for each day I'm coming in. That kept me going really for, for the whole of the summer, just doing a bit of everything really. So uh, back when I, I was a cover keeper, the reptiles was the area I wanted to go into. I was a big snake fan and that's what I dreamed of working with. But however, when I started working out as a cover keeper, doing a bit of all sections, it actually highlighted to me my love of hoofstock. Uh, and I focused mostly on our hoofstock section. And then I got taken as a full-time cover keeper, taken as a proper salary wage. Uh, we worked six days on, two days off. So on a rolling rotor, still mostly covering all the sections. So I've worked with birds. I've worked with uh, large carnivores, uh, primates and small mammals. Our reptile section, uh, used to be our hoofstock and paddock section was separate back then. Worked with all the taxa that we had at the park and just carried on just doing what I was doing, working hard, keeping my head down, pushing as hard as I could. I say there was other people that was more academically minded than I was. Not bigger. There was no one that was going to work as hard as I was to get it. It was my whenever my parents always said whenever I started growing up, I always said I wanted to be a zookeeper or a farmer. So I always wanted to work with them animals. I always said I've been happy working with any animal for a period of time. Uh, back then, everyone wanted to work with your last carnivores or sometimes your primate. And back when I started, there was a lot of cover keepers that wanted to be a primate keeper in the future or a large carnivore keeper. But for me, I was just happy I'd work with anything. That sort of went in my favour because I was happy to go on uh, a farm section and work with the ponies and the sheep and the rabbits and bits like that as well. Just working hard through there. A job came up on the paddocks and farm section. I was one of the keepers that worked on there the most. I got asked if I wanted to take on that role. So I did. And I had one head of section above me. So it was just a two-person section. Uh, myself and the head of section worked with her really well for a long period of time. She then moved up to head keeper, to senior and head keeper. So as, as she started to move up, I end up picking up uh, more of the work that she was doing on the section and as she sort of stepped away from section to go to head keeper uh, I stepped up into the section leader of uh, the paddock section and then carried on doing that for many years I say the head keeper then was uh, my old head of section so I, I once again I've worked with her for many years so as she was doing the head keeper role there'll be bits that I would automatically step in and keep asking I was just very helpful and I was always asked if, oh, can I do that for you let me help you there so I sort of stepped into a zoo zoo supervisor as so a slightly above section leader but not the obviously head keeper or deputy role but then as time went on our head keeper uh, she moved on uh, to another collection uh, and then the head keeper position uh, was offered to myself at that time I'd already seen some of the struggles our previous head keeper had that there's a lot of uh, workload put on her when we got asked to step up I don't didn't really see it as a one-person job so that's when uh, Jessie Hoyland who is my colleague she's more academically minded than I am so she's sort of more stepped into the curator role she was doing little bits of office stuff as she was going due to back issues and bits like that uh, so we spoke about actually the two of us stepping up into that animal park manager role because I was still out on section and still uh, uh, keeping myself out there and to me I still love the getting out there getting dirty and yeah being involved in it so that's where we then split the roles we were both head keepers up and then we slowly split it down to curator level so Jesse is more in charge uh, does more of the animal moves a lot more the office side uh, whilst I'll be out doing a lot more on the actual ground side of things really uh, being that support for the keepers uh, where needed if Jesse's not around or, or uh, if Jesse's in the office I'm there easier to get access to and I've been doing that now for six and a half come up to seven years really I've been through it all especially when I tell my junior stuff been that like I have the mindset for the real junior stuff just there, starting out because I was there 
all them years ago. That's one of the reasons why I think this is a great opportunity for hopefully people to listen. And yeah, people up in their head keeper positions, who manager positions have been in them places. Yeah, they hopefully we can share their knowledge and help people get to where we are now because we're not going to be around forever. I could not agree more. Sharing knowledge is key. Now, on that then, from your journey so far, James, and from every element of the career you've lived so far do you have any advice maybe for your your younger self or for someone listening from what you've learned from what you've had to go through and the skills you've developed along the way any little gems for me i've been hard and putting yourself out there really there is no silly question my team below me and all the way down i always tell them please nag me because the people your boss it the senior keepers the head keepers uh and part managers curators all them bits They've got so much on. They want to share that knowledge, but sometimes other things just snip in and take them away from it. So it's not that people have forgotten about what people are asking them for to do. And don't be afraid to nag. I always tell my team, like, if I haven't got around to doing it with you, it's not because I'm not going to do it with you. Don't get upset uh, that I haven't given you that time. If you keep nagging me, nagging me, nagging me, it's always in my head that you still want it. You're still going to go for it. The world's your oyster. And the more you push for it, the more open you can be, the more flexible you can be, uh, the more chance you're going to uh, learn and develop more really and it's always put yourself out there for them tricky tasks offer your help you know you work on a, a hoofstock section and there's something going on with crocodiles or a large snake or even cats being moved in or something like that and it's not in your area always ask that question go to the head of key head of sections say oh, can you offer to help they might say no but at least in their mindset that you're showing that interest. It can be very hard when keepers come in onto one section, say you come straight into a bird section, so you haven't really worked with all the other taxes, and so you isolate yourself just onto that section. That can really restrict your learning. Okay, it's going to do well in there, but actually as you step, depending on where you want to go, if you want to come head keeper, sometimes you need to develop that transferable skills, uh, widen that knowledge basis. To, obviously, you've got the team that know you're going to always have your people you can lean on, like your other section leaders and stuff like that to go on. But people come to you and ask for that help. So making sure that you, whilst you're young, you absorb whatever you can, get as much experience as you can, because that is going to be the treasure as you get older to support yourself your career having your knowledge and your set and the confidence in your own knowledge be able to keep you going really yeah totally and linking with that then is there one trait or a tribute inside yourself which has allowed you to drive on to be that person you are today for me i love animals people that work with me they'll know that wherever i can i always give my own time normally on one of my days off i'm always back in the work doing something doing something outside of work one of the traits why i enjoy it so much it's my hobby zookeeping for me isn't just a job it always was what i wanted to do i have animals at home like i have days off and i go to other zoos it is everything for me yeah my hobby my dream job my what gets me excited and all the spin-off from that from building enrichment going off and looking at enclosures design even plants and stuff like that has all come from it so for me it's the enjoyment of the job which is what's pushed me on to keep doing it of course you get low times and it can be really hard the worries that that what can always be a concern is when you start to not enjoy it. You put too much pressure on yourself and you lose that enjoyment. And that's very easy. And we'll talk about it probably a, a bit later on about the stresses of the industry. But sometimes if you put that summer stress on, you get that nine to five shutting off. Zookeeping isn't a nine to five job. You're going to get called in your days off. You're going to sometimes have to stay late to help with an animal emergency. If you 
can't put that time in for them, the job isn't always there for you because them animals are in our care. We are responsible for them. Of course, you're the junior keepers out there, you're probably going to have a section lead. So you almost look to them to, oh, it's, they're in that position now, they'll do it. But as a trait for you guys to go forward, it's seeing you do it, that stick in there, putting your head out, neck out on the line there to work with them and stay late and uh, help them out, be there to oh, pop in. Obviously, we don't expect it, but that goes a long way because it sometimes doesn't, it takes some of that stress away and it's a work-life balance, of course, but having it as you're enjoying it and the hobby for me is what allowed me to put more effort into it and push myself really to the breath I take is some round animals really, whether it's ones at home on days off out elsewhere or back at work. But yeah, it comes down, you've got to enjoy it. You've got to be responsible for them animals in your care. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess we all know that this career, this industry, it can get overwhelming at times it can get crazy and it can get on top of us have you learned to find controlling techniques ways to push through all of this and to keep on straight and narrow and, and as productive as needed to succeed it's very hard sometimes uh, so you're always going to have good times and bad times and with us in the zoo industry the animals passing on sometimes enclosures being run down and if you're in a big collection you see you might see funds go into another area and your area is still a bit like if you're in, running your own little section uh, on, on a set section that can get you down the thing is you've always got to look at the positives try and do what you can do so you're going to do as best as you can do that has got to be the biggest fact take and it is very stressful especially through covid uh, for me was actually one of my most stressful times trying to manage a team uh, through COVID it was very hard work and it gets on top of you one of the key aspects is communication having a good team around you to rely on to lean on uh, but also communicate with as well having a part like I say someone you can work with like for me obviously I do have Jesse who is communicate with so if you're having a bit of something stressed you out you can run it through there and they can listen to your opinions that might even be your own zoo manager your own head of section you're frustrated about something talk, if you can talk to them on a, a friend sort of a friendly basis not they might be able to highlight things a different way of looking at it than actually watch the way you're looking at it and it's a, sometimes it can be very hard you're only looking at that one area and sometimes that's the biggest factor it's just been a you can only do what you can do having the support around you is the biggest factor yeah that support is key and i, I guess linking with that then it doesn't always go right does it, it things can go sideways go a bit pear-shaped and problems slash errors and and i guess true mistakes can be made it's quite a harsh word to use but how have you learned to evolve with this James and embrace those mistakes those problems that you've occurred and turn them into a true worth of growth and success to move on and, and grow into your own career and the position you're in today even when you get to a head keeper position you're not perfect we aren't perfect your head keeper out there your animal park manager your curator your CEO they're not perfect they're going to have us make mistakes uh, yeah I'll make they'll make mistakes the way we can learn from them for us to develop as individuals as keepers you have to own up to their mistakes even as down to a small padlock or uh, the wrong diet has gone out you're not sprayed something because you're only supposed to have sprayed something down to your invert down to your reptiles and your herps and stuff like that all them factors okay as long as if you can know you know where they are and you can own up to them okay there might be some really serious ones that further actions have to be taken but 
having that trust and that faith. Okay, right, I've yeah, that is my mistake. I've really, I'm really sorry. To me, that goes a lot further. The hired, I oh, don't make mistakes, and I oh, did. That wasn't me pushing the blame because it takes a lot from a people. It's, it's a big characteristic for people that can actually own up to say, yeah, I'm sorry, that was my mistake. I really shouldn't have done it. You're aware of it early enough, and then once again, you can then tell your section leader, your head keeper, they can come in and hopefully correct it if it if it needs correcting or resolve that issue and that's really been a big thing for me and the big thing in zoo world is anxiety is a factor we are in charge of our animals and responsible for them animals some people some as you get older and in your uh, hiring positions a higher senior position section leads or bits like that sometimes the junior keepers don't always see that side of things they don't think oh they keep your know, section lead your head keeper they don't get anxious like almost they're just a robot and they just get on with everything but actually some for me i, I do drive home and did i do that sometimes luck enough as a head keeper i can come back and let myself back in and double check stuff but once again that's where it comes to the communications if it's down to a, a junior keeper has had a thought like that they might not have the keys and the accessibility to get back in but if they can then report it and own up to it they can get checked and probably about 80 percent of the time 90 percent of the time you're probably going to do it. You've probably already done it, but that little niggling bit in your brain is telling you that, actually, have I done that? We have all been there, haven't we? That moment of madness at 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, fearing that our padlock's unlocked. You know a keeper a mile off when they're rattling their car door or their keys in their front door, just double-checking these things. It's just ingrained into our souls. So, uh, yep, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't agree more with you, James. Now, the next question I've got for you, then, is the building of a team. The team is the core behind any successful safari park, wildlife park or zoo across the world. What is it that you look for when employing someone within your team? And I guess to speak to to the listeners listening into this, what are you looking for to make an all-rounded keeper? Yeah, so at Paradise, uh, people aren't aware, we are very public-fronted. All our animal park team do our education talks, do keeper talks, the handling sessions, the talk behind-the-scene tours. That's all the actual animal park team. We don't have an entertainment department that goes off to them or yeah, a special experience department does that. Uh, even our education department, we have an education keeper, but our keepers will still go off and help deliver school talks for some of, the, uh, for some of our groups. So for us, it's... It's a people, but it is people person skills. It can be very hard because as a zookeeper, uh, you come into zookeeping worlds because you don't really like people and you prefer the animals. Uh, animals are much easier sometimes to talk to and just get on with. And it can be a very hard mindset. If you come into an interview and you're closed down, you okay, yeah, you might be the most skilled person in that room. But if you can't display that and talk about your skill set and talk to people that you don't know and display yourself put yourself out there and that can have a knock-on effect and especially at paradise obviously that is something we do look at because we need people that are able to elaborate we are need people that can do a talk to say 200 odd people uh off a microphone so we need that inner confidence trust is a big factor honesty zoo world obviously is quite interlinked so People know, know most people in the zoo world if you've been in a zoo job and you go into another zoo job being truthful because probably there's someone at the zoo you're applying for, knows somebody at the zoo you've worked at. So yeah, making sure you're just as honest as possible, even if it is something's gone wrong uh, and you've learned from that. Because if you come to an interview and you hide that or you don't tell the truth, that will come out some way or the other, uh, whether it's from a reference or just from knowing you, from knowing from that person through a social media or bits like it's so easy now to Google someone's name or Facebook search somebody and bits like that. So making sure your the honesty is there because as that builds in a team, 
And um, for my team in particular, especially even as a section team, uh, as I was a section lead, trust is a big factor to me. I need to be able to trust my team. I need to know that they've got my back if I, and I've got their back uh, from if it's down to going into our big anaconda enclosure, our big retics, uh, and having to do handling for them. So if a mistake happened, I know I can trust them to do exactly what I've been told. Uh, and they know I'm not exactly the same. If something's gone wrong and they can cut down, no, I'll drop out a hat and come straight in from. And it comes down to that trust factor. And and that all can spur off from an interview is making sure that you are delivering that and telling the honest truth all the time because actually it's only going to help you in the long run. So that's a big factor uh, that you're looking for, outgoingness. Teamwork, it's always very easy. It's all the standard things. You go to an interview, I'm very good at teamwork, but I can also work well on my own. But teamwork is a big factor of it. Work with your your keepers and your team more than you probably see your family, friends outside of work, your partners and stuff like that as well. So they are family. They're going to ir- irritate you like a family member would irritate you. But you've also they'll be there for you as well. Uh, and they're the ones that if you're getting yourself down or stressed out they're the ones that you can help delegate work to or they'll help that as you can grab them into the situation just to have extra hands on the job so yeah teamwork does really go a long way and once again that all comes into your communication your honesty factors sometimes that's more important than even the animal side because i can i can teach someone how to clean an animal out and manage a paddock or handle a snake or uh, yeah we can train someone to fly a bird so sometimes it can actually be that's factor of it, depending on what le- obviously what level of keeper. But if we're looking at brand new keepers coming in, I'm not looking them to have the most utmost experience. Go actually, experience helps a long way, and sometimes experience helps more than qualifications. But then in other respects, qualifications are more beneficial than experience, uh, depending on the positions you're looking at. But if I'm looking for keepers freshly coming out, get as much experience as you can. It doesn't have to be the same animals, even if it's out of the stables or uh, dog kennels or you've helped out local vets, uh, reptile shop, anything like that, because that basic bit of experience will help. But that'll also get you involved in a team. Uh, and any team, if it's working at McDonald's in the team compared to working at a garage or bits like, all these factors, teamwork is the, one of the most important factors from it and if you can't rely on your team or you're worried that at the end of the day they're gonna come back at you obviously you're not listening to them or you're shouting at them your communication is wrong that's what's going to come back and break break it down really oh you touched on it briefly then but i'm going to bring you back to it james what in your opinion is more vital it's the age-old question in this industry is it three years of experience or is it three years in the field gaining that needed experience within the industry? What one is more valuable to you? And I'm sorry to have to put that to you. Yeah? You're welcome to sit on the fence, but I'm going to throw it at you and see what you come back with. Give it a go, James. Uh, not sitting on the fence, but both areas can be very good, depending on what role you're going. But for baseline coming in, for say if I'm looking at a zero hour fixed term sort of contract or a seasonal base keeper, yeah, a little bit of it. Uh, if they're at an animal based college or a level, who animal care course that's uh, that's fine for me they get an experience from that but they're adding more experience onto that that's even better if they volunteer in a reptile shop on the weekends or they volunteer at the local farm park or at their zoo uh, that's going to step them more in the ranks of their experience level that's going to help for me personally obviously i didn't go down that degree route and uh, obviously i went down just for basic college but I went down for the experience side of things and feel quite young uh, in my career, I like to think. And I've got to where I am today is probably because I started so much earlier. That doesn't change because Jessie went to uni and she's sort of in the same sort of position there as well. So 
both sides work if you've got still that drive and that knowledge to go. Can depend on your collections as well, really. Um, smaller collections will probably look more fully experienced, like go down fully experienced levels, especially for starting keepers, because they might not be doing as much conservation work or breeding site like down to your breeding management or collection planning and stuff like that. They've, they've got their school collection and it's just the, they want someone to help clean out the animals and look after that. So the experience wise would go from there. But compared to going to some of your bigger zoological institutes, they're going to be, they might be looking for someone to, to start coming with research and to have a bit more knowledge on research projects, ethograms, uh, all the way through to be able to do some pro- uh, basic maths or medicating or water, uh, managing water values and uh, bits like IT skills. So that's where sometimes that factors does come into some of your bigger collections. It shouldn't be overlooked for smaller collections because that can actually sometimes help them develop. Uh, so both have their good pros and cons. Uh, however, for me, I have obviously I've had work experience come in. I've had volunteers come in that have been from uni, done their uni course, but they don't really know how to work a broom properly uh, and sweep broom. So, where if I had someone that's worked at a farm for two years uh, or uh, on a local animal care course for two years and can clean out a stable and know how to handle a reptile or something like that a bit more than just go in and get in a zoo management degree that then I might not even have much related. I've had people that I work with on my team that's got degrees and then you're trying to teach them how to shear a sheep or trim a hoof or restrain that neck a snake, tube an animal, all like some bits like that. They've never learned any of that. Zoo management degree didn't cover basic how to, like the, the building of a zoo, but not the nitty gritty on the ground side of things. So I do think experience does trump qualification, especially for a younger keeper. Very well put. That leads us perfectly to the big questions. It's a part of this podcast where we tackle some of the more hard-hitting questions and try and dig to the bottom of them. Now, the first one is really summing up this whole episode and the point of management. We, We all know that the higher you go in this industry, generally the further away you go from animals and the closer to, to management and making sure people are generally okay, those bonds that you have to develop. Now, to kick us off then, James, with this and link into all of this, how would you describe your management style? Oh, yeah. So, uh, management, exactly that. Yeah, as you get old, as you develop up and go through the ranks, yeah, like I say, you end up dealing with people a lot more than the animals, and sometimes the animals are much easier than the people to deal with. But I started up quite firm and quite regimented and really come across like this is my area that they do what i say and it didn't work out for me i, I was quite young coming into a section leader position so for me i really had to just uh, i felt i had to stamp it down really come in and almost fear factor come in really and it didn't work for me uh, like i learned from that so i had people that didn't want to work with me one of my deputies in the past who had moved out of the career now but when he first started out yeah we, he never really wanted to work on the section as we started changing our ways and bits of that he ended up loving the section and became one of my, de- my deputy on the section for a long period of time and that sometimes shows your first attempt isn't always the right attempt as what we said earlier learning from their mistakes and tweaking that is really what's going to make you as a, a manager that you can learn from some people you work with you can take traits of good skill set from them but also you can learn from the bad skill sets as well one of them factors is just trust wise and actually i still can find it very hard uh, at times but you need to trust your trust in that team now i 
you've got a very good team below me, and especially as I've come away from my section that I've worked on for many years, I have a team that I trust with everything uh, on there. So I can rely on them. I can be a bit laid back with them, but they know where I am. At the moment, they're still not got that like, real knowledge to be that section, have it, be their section lead, but they're close to it. So that's why we don't want to bring a section lead in to lose their opportunities of losing that uh, stepping stone for them. Using, letting them have that chance, as I said earlier, have that chance to make their own mistakes. Trying to listen to everyone, trying so they feel like they're being heard. Trying to work out what works best for them, because what works best for me, you know, I might think is, is the best option for me. Might not work out for half the team. And if it doesn't work out for half the team, then it's actually not the best option for the team as it goes. And being that flexible, really, it can be very hard. You still want to come across. You need to earn that respect. Not having a title does not automatically give you respect. Being a headkeeper uh, does not give me the respect that. I feel like just going in now, I'm the head keeper. I earned, like, this is my time now. You have to do what I say. I have to earn my keeper's respects, and I can only do that by working with them, listening to them, supporting them where they need to, actually investing in them, not just investing money into them, but actually investing time into them, having a conversation about what their favourite animal, what their favourite animals are, where they'd like to go, do they see themselves. Don't want that every, for me, it's always that chance. I don't want them, the only time my team or the, the whole zoo team come and speak to me is when they are being told off or having to put off or something serious, like a serious meeting or something like that. I want to be able to, go out and have a sort of a joke around with them out up in the staff room and there doesn't have to be that fear factor glooming over you that like oh james is in the room now let's be quiet i don't don't want to talk to him and this is from the junior keepers who have only been with us for a few months all the way up to the deputies section leaders and stuff like that and you're not gonna as i said earlier you're not gonna please everyone i'm not gonna what everybody loves but okay i might not they might not get on with me day to day as much they don't see me as much but they still know if on a moment something bad happens, I'm there to help them. I'll drop out a hat and yeah, support them where needed, be there for the tough times. And that's really how I, I see myself really and, uh, and try to, my, my way of managing. Yeah, very, very well put. And I'm going to spin a whole new question at you then, something brand new to this industry here in the UK. And that is the Secretary of State guidelines, something brand new to us, very much on our doorstep and already here, over 100 pages of new content for us to delve into to change our industry. Now, this varies between education, conservation, animal welfare, you name it. It's going to change the way we work. Now, the question I've got for you, James, is will and how will this affect you and your management role within your collection? It's good that they're actually reviewing the licensing processes and they are looking into the bits that are needed because... As we all know, there are bad zoos out there, uh, and some sadly, sometimes bad zoos uh, around the world is what tarnish the zoo name. So it's good that they're looking into the factors of it. They need to it's talk to the right people because you've got obviously the legal governing boards and stuff like that that are right. This is what we're going to do. This we need to do. That. That's not realistic to do for for it might be realistic to do from a big collection that's getting tens of thousands of people in on a busy day to a small collection that might not realistic for a small collection that's only going to get 500 visitors a day so it's having that realistic line across them all i think it's great for conservation wise that to try and get more people to do more conservation realistically how achievable is that though that comes down to the fact is how many collections are not going to be able to realistically be able to 
put that in that funding in to allow that or if they are going to do that where is that funding then coming from are they going to be taking that from a different sector of their company so if it's producing staff numbers down to allow that funding to go across which then they can't do if they need to do a project and sometimes you need a person to run that project even down to say that you're you're tethering up birds and bits like that now it can be done we don't have paradise wild apart we do not have any birds tethered we obviously have free flying bird displays but it's different for us we have a smaller collection of birds compared to an area that is mainly focused on birds of prey and have lots of birds around that fly them out all very different times yeah okay you have got the argument there of them being in an enclosure it's better for them they're not tied to a, a little stoop and really able to move around but but financially, space-wise, can they allow that? Have they got the space for that? Are they to the best welfare for their animals? We know some animals don't cope so well if they have different access from flying into mesh or pouring out glasses, uh, glass panels or bits like that. So all these factors need to take be taken into account. And uh, now I know there are people looking into it. They have actually got people from the zoo industry across the board re- reviewing bit. But it is going to be labelled and it's going to put a lot more strain on zoos not always a bad factor because that is that going to spin out some of your bad zoos or going to make them change to it down to even cpd we're talking very much about our our team members and developing our team members there's so much more required cpd to be put in now so actually further uh, obviously for them to keep on learning and even that's going to be a beneficial for the keepers because their department their actual zoos now their industry that they're working and have to put them through that courses where you might have had some collections and some keepers before might find it very hard to try and go to a, a conference or a workshop to develop their knowledge because they can't get it off because they're only there's only two keepers that run the whole zoo or their part can't financially support them and obviously as a zookeeper they can't really financially support it either because as we know, zookeeping is not the best paid job in the world. So there are going to be some struggles. I think we can get through it when it comes in. It's just going to be a case of teamwork comes in, not just teamwork within the team, but actually across the zoo industry. As we touched on, the zoo industry is quite well known. You're Across the board, there's names. Uh, everybody knows someone that's in a different collection here or there. But sometimes we might have to go further than that. We might have to, the collection actually having to work together a bit more to support each other, which there are some collections out there that will do a great job of supporting people. But I, I know from even Paris Waterpark, we've supported some of our, uh, some smaller collections that have come up a- around us. But I do think that's going to, it's going to need that support from, them collections to them sort of to give advice to whoever it's down to advising on firearms training and support to their yeah, enclosures to, uh, even like quarantine systems and bits like that uh it's, it is going to be a struggle but i think if they're the zoo industry is very good in especially when you can get through the scary people uh, scary ones especially from junior keepers it come and be very scary to talk to other keepers but if you can get through that zookeepers are great to talk to they'll help each other out wherever they can and i think that's the way going on it's a great aspect to be in uh a great that's one of the reasons why the collect uh, the zoo industry is a good industry to be in. it can be hard at times to get through that but when you get through it you've got people out there that will be supportive support you no matter what and help you out with a bit of advice you can drop them 
message to ask a question, uh, email them or bits like that. So and I think that's really important because going forward, people are going to need help to get them to areas to have their own conservation programs. Like for us, we don't have our own. We support um, we support many and actually that's going to be a factor as well because we do a lot of financial support to a lot of different conservation projects if we have to now do our own conservation project that's going to take a lot of financial income so a lot of these other projects that require it they're going to lose that because to us now we have to put into our own one absolutely really really nicely put and i think you're exactly right as a collective we will rise through this build upon this and come out a stronger collective so no could not agree more now you'd be happy to know that was the big questions out of the way we've smashed them out of the park and we now move on to the final element of this podcast episode it's called the quick fire round and as the listeners will know by now this will either fly by or as they're more commonly hearing this can erupt into a whole wealth of conversation so let's hear how we go james Number one for you is your favourite animal. Uh, so I'm, I'm a big tapir fan. I'm sitting in my office already looking at four different, five different pictures of tapirs around me. Yeah. So when I first came to zookeeping, I really loved snakes. And I still love my reptiles. And it is an aspect that I've, I've now started picking up a bit more at work. But uh, even at home, I have some of my own. But tapirs are my favourite animal. Is Yeah, I've got, if there might not much out there that has got a tapir on it or even like ornament cuddly toy that i don't really have i went to a zoo conference a, a little while ago in portugal and um there was this big old four foot high tapir uh, on the silent auction i had to win it because i hadn't had it sadly there was another keeper pushing me up uh, to make me spend more but yeah it's i got it home and i bought I, I won it and then i had to have the worry of how actually how do i get it back on the flight get it back home but now it sits in my living room but yeah tapirs is my all-time favorite a cracking answer now number two then is what is your top tip for well-being and mental health yeah it is very it's coming up more and more generally across the world but in the zoo industry as you touched on how hard the work can be how intensive it can be mentally straining my big thing is get make sure you have your own time my team will probably be laughing at me because i'm saying that because they say i don't really it's very hard to get in the run of day like these are the jobs to be done the day goes you're back home you haven't really had the time to even think about what's going on you might feel useless you're not developing or you're being judged because you don't know something and in day as i said earlier you can do as best as you can do communicate Make sure you've got a good team member, some team members that you can chat with, communicate with. But just making sure you have some of your own time chatting it with even with one of our section leads. So you get so important, so run in to try and teach people how to do stuff that actually it ends up taking the fun side of it away from us because you don't, you're so focused on teaching them and making sure they're staying safe instead of doing actually doing yourself and enjoying it as you go. So. Yeah, make sure whatever you do, you have you, the animals you work with, you're working with them because you love them. It's your job, your dream job, most of you guys out there. So just make sure you take the time to appreciate that and what you've got around you. It's so easy to think, oh, I've got it, it's terrible. Uh, but actually, there's people out there that would dream to be in the jobs that we are in. We've worked hard to get there. So if you're there, you deserve to be there. So just, yeah, just take a second, look at that, spend some time with the animals that you love and care for. And yeah, that only helps really. Perfectly put, some great advice. Okay, the next question for you then is what is your top tip for motivating a team? Oh, I think a good, t- say a good team building event uh, works nicely. I think if you can get the team together uh, and have some, just have a laugh and uh, with each other, take away some of that work stress. Even that 
work taking away that work hat. Like so people I can go out with people and have a joke around with some of the junior team, but I still know I'll go back into work tomorrow and I'll respect what I say or if I ask them to do something and having that relationship. A cracking answer. Okay. The next one is what is the best part of the industry? Hands down, it is the animals. That's why we all come into the industry is because we love the animals that we care for. So it can be a hard in- industry to get into. And even still, there's different view sets in the industry, but there are some fantastic people uh, in the industry that you can, if you even, you only see them once a year at a conference, but you can go out with them, have a joke with them. You can chat with them. Uh, you, they can lean on them for support. Uh, and especially uh, for myself as a younger keeper coming through, having that is a great aspect. It's not saying all keepers, and I'll put hands down, there are many head honchos out there that even still to my, even still in the position I'm in now, might not come talk to me or might have views on my collection uh, or, or bits like that. And I wouldn't have said I've probably ever had a full-blown conversation with an outside of a work. Um, but there are others out there that they'll give you the time of day to chat to, communicate with, have, have a joke with. And that makes it a lot easier for especially younger keepers coming in. It can be quite daunting when you're seeing maybe 40, 50, 60-year-olds that have been in it for a long period of time. They all know each other, uh, all having fun with each other. And you're a 30-year-old sitting there like a young, young one coming in the young blood. But there are good people out there that will pull you in, include you. Nicely put. And I know that this next one is going to be a hard one for you, James. You've already said you like to travel around to different zoos. So I'm going to ask you exactly that. Where in this world, zoo-wise, would you like to visit and why? Globally. Wow. So I'll break it down into UK. Um, One of my best UK zoos. And I'd say if anybody hasn't ever been to this zoo, they should do because it's fantastic. The scenery that it's in. Highland Wildlife Park, uh, Royal Zoological Society of Scotland. There's not the Edinburgh's great, but they've got they've seen the other one a bit higher up. It's fantastic. It's in the mountains of the Cangor, around by the Cangor Mountains. It's the, the species they have there are sort of the animals that can live in them sort of natural climates. So it's fantastic for them as well because it's not like a polar bear that's as we've seen in the past in a concrete pit in the middle of a city. Uh, this is in, uh, they'll get thick snow, they'll get rain, they'll get the, the, the fall of ice and stuff like that. So that's definitely in the UK one that I'd, say, I'd recommend people to go to. From around the world, that is the challenging one. Uh, obviously, I hear great things about Singapore Zoo and that's like all the night safari and bits like that. San Diego uh, Safari Park to, um, is, another, is another one. So, yeah, there's a few like that. Obviously, again, even as a reptile person, he's a different character and uh, some people have ver- various views on him. But Steve Irwin, so the uh, Australia Zoo, just to obviously go there to see what it's like. Some of these zoos might not be great zoos like you list around the world. But for me, going to a zoo is not just going to good zoos sometimes going to the bad zoos or what people say are bad zoos someone's opinion of a bad zoo might not be a bad zoo to someone that knows a bit more about the zoos and go looking into them or they might be a bad zoo because no one goes there and they don't get a chance to speak to someone and have them opportunities so yeah little factors like that is why i'd like to go to a lot of the zoo, most zoos around leipzig is another one zurich is another one i'd like to go to so yeah there's a, a list really i'd I'm trying to tick them all off. I've been trying to go through the whole of the UK zoos and tick all the UK zoos off. So once I've done all them, then I can branch out further afield. They're just a bit more expensive to get to. That answer does not surprise me in the slightest. I'm going to allow you to have them all because they are all amazing in their own ways. So, you know, some cracking answers. Now, the next one I've got for you then 
is how would you improve the industry that we work in? Improving the industry, I want to get, I know I've touched on about the communications and how good, uh, once you get through that uh, cloud and get onto the other side, but I, from a junior keeper side of aspect, sometimes I think that communication, that welcoming view from the older generation that come on in, I think for, even for my sake, like if I go away with taking junior keepers with us, it's much easier for a junior keeper, a junior keeper to join in when they've got one of their seniors with them. But if I sent my team off to a conference on their own, so it was a, uh, keepers have only been with two, three, four years, they'll mostly keep themselves to themselves because they wouldn't feel so sort of welcome into the into that. There are certain keepers out there, and I know if I've been at conference, you'll, you'll see them. You'll see little a groups of a couple of keepers that stay to themselves because they don't feel like they they've got the right even really to go and speak to some of these names that we've been with like you say you're probably going to have even on this podcast or even um other people may have heard from the zoo industry there's some that they might don't think they've got the right to go speak to them because they're a, a novice keeper but they do they earn their they've earned their say their seat at the table really but sometimes i do think that is a big factor is it's not always as welcoming as it probably could be really for some of these junior keepers. Now we're on that second to last question, James. I want to ask you who in this industry is your idol? Uh, so when I first started out, I had, when I was a junior keeper, work experience volunteer, uh, he's passed away now, but he was our old head of uh, primates and reptiles back then. Uh, he became on to being our uh, sort of our city most head keeper at that time before we really probably had head keepers. He was called Gary Watts. Yeah, he was always looked up to. He gave me my first sort of opportunities on handling a venomous, like, uh, helping with uh, a monocle cobra when I was like 16 years old uh, and bits like that and gave me them opportunities. Sadly, he passed away at a young age um, when he was at the zoo uh, due to a medical condition and it was a big loss for the industry. But yeah. He was a, a big idol of mine going forward. Others, great supports, really, um, going forward. So uh, there's uh, Ian Goodwin at Marwell. Once again, very hoofstocky. Just, I was going to come. He's always there. He's been a great support. He's one of the ones that has been very welcoming. Put his arm, always come see you first, even if uh, in the room, if he sees you. He's got the knowledge. He's got the experience, especially in the species that I love with uh, hoofstock. So he's been a great one. Uh, there's been Ange from uh, West Midlands has been once again has been a great support over the years but once again always them if them faces that I'm really welcoming that uh, you can always just go to and ask like if you see her at a conference they'll sit with her and have a good chat and yeah a bit like that Noel as well from West Midlands both of them two have been a great support for myself going up and coming to these conferences and just making us feel welcome yeah um so the list can go on um but yeah idol for when I really first started was Gary Watts uh who sadly I say passed away now but um he's got to a, um, at the age where he was seeing some of the traits that he'd done and hopefully I could take that and only be at least half the keeper that he was or would have got the chance to do yeah it was a sad sad losing it as someone who's that dedicated and that's knowledgeable uh so early really some really touching words there james thank you so so much for sharing that with us now we're on that last question of this episode and that is can you sum up this whole industry in only three words wow uh okay um enjoyable I love the animals, so enjoyable from that aspect. Hard working, that's two words for my one uh, for one there. And rewarding. It, it is a rewarding job to be in. A really great way to sum up this whole episode. Now, I knew you were going to get an extra word in, but I'm going to let you have it because it's a really perfect way to finish this episode. Thank you so, so much, James, for coming on, 
sharing your journey, sharing your stories and sharing everything Zoo with us. It's been an amazing listen. And through me and the listeners, thank you so, so much. Fully enjoyed it, James. Thank you very much for having me. Well, James, hopefully we'll get you on again very, very soon. Yeah, no, I'd be loved. I'd love to. Yeah, just last words for all them junior keepers out there listening. Me and James have both been there. The opportunities are there for you. Um, if you ever see, I'm sure I'll speak for myself, but I'm sure James as well. If you ever see us at a conference or a workshop, please come speak to us, uh, have a chat with us, uh, and hopefully we can get you developing up and being where we are in the future. I could not have put that any better myself. Thank you so much, my friend. Have a great evening. You too, James. You too. Take care. Bye now. Bye. And that concludes this week's episode. What an amazing guest and an amazing time we had. Now, if you have enjoyed it, please do subscribe on Instagram, Facebook or our podcast channels to Zookeeping 101. I can't express how thankful I am personally from a fellow zookeeper to have you along for this quite amazing journey, learning about everything zookeeper. Otherwise, please subscribe. Thank you for listening and see you very, very soon. Bye.